0: The scriptures are written long ago. were all written for our instruction. Romans 15, verse 4. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It is impossible to overemphasize the role the Holy Bible plays in the life of the believing Catholic. We honor and reverence and obey the written Word of God, inspired by Him, written by Him, transmitted to us through the Church to whom the Bible truly belongs. We must not only give the Scriptures external homage, we must venerate them internally. That internal respect and obeisance has to a large extent been lost today. More than a century ago, liberal Protestantism embraced a deadly approach to Scripture, which ultimately drained the Scriptures of its mystery and supernatural character, and thus of its power. Motivated by rationalism, the philosophical thought, which put reason as the ultimate authority over religion, everything in the Bible which was miraculous was called into question, then demythologized or stripped of what the s- scholars considered to be myth or legend. Everything was denied. Including, including eventually the resurrection. This approach has infected only, well, has also infected the Catholic Church somewhat. I had a, when I was president of a uh, graduate school of religious studies, had a difficult time in locating a professor who would teach scripture the Catholic way. I can still remember my first scripture class as a seminarian at Catholic University. The professor was a young and affable priest steeped in the modern interpretation of the Bible. He began his maiden class by asseverating to us future priests that there was no Moses My heart sunk. Not that I was disappointed that Moses didn't exist, but I was stressed that I would have to endure this professor for a semester. Having successfully shocked us by striking Moses from the history of Israel without any shred of evidence or proof to back up his erroneous statement, he then proceeded to move unto the New Testament, having destroyed the Old. He declared, There was no transfiguration. The apostles, Peter, James, and John, did not go up the mountain with Christ and see him transfigured and talking with Moses, who didn't exist anyway, and Elijah. They did not hear the voice of the Father speak from heaven. This is my beloved Son, upon whom my favor rests. This event in the Gospel was made up by the early Christians to emphasize the divinity of Christ. Once more, he offered no proof of what he said. Then, a seminarian in the class a Maronite, writes seminarian, put up his hand and asked, Father, this is very confusing and interesting. And if you are correct that there was no transfiguration, how do you explain the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 to 19, which reads, It was not on myth cleverly concocted that we relied when we told you about the power of Jesus Christ. With our own eyes, we have witnessed his majesty. He was invested with honor and glory by God the Father, and then there comes to him from the sublime presence a voice which said, This is my son, my beloved, on whom my favor rests. We ourselves heard this voice when he came from heaven, for we were there with him on the sacred mountain. The professor thoughtfully paused and then said that is a problem no part of the Bible is more subject to the attacks of the so-called scripture experts than the infancy narratives of St. Luke and St. Matthew a few years ago the Archbishop of Canterbury said that they're all legends. Even the nativity, they're all legends. I then remembered the words of Oscar Wilde, who said, the only requirement to become an Anglican bishop is that you have no faith. According to some of the authorities, there were no wise men, no star, no angel, no massacre of children by Herod the Great. So, despite what you may read in Time and Newsweek, or view on the cable networks, History Channel especially, they're so concerned about uh, telling the truth about Christmas and they, they uh, uh, deny everything we traditionally hold, yet it's the same channel, the same channel that tells us that the pyramids were made. By out, aliens from outer space. There was a Magi. There was a star. Uh, there was a murderous Herod. And Christ was born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Several years ago, a prominent French theologian and scripture authority, Father Rene Laurentin, who had been a Paretas at Vatican II, wrote a book entitled Beyond the Christmas Myth," in which he defended the authenticity and historical truth of the (laughs) infancy narratives. On this book, I have it here, on the back of the book, an endorsement was written by no no less a person than St. John Paul II. The, the, The French Academy also awarded Award to Father Laurentin for the book. We are told, I was taught, the story of the wise men and the star never happened. I remember receiving a, a um, Christmas card from a classmate when I was in seminary, and they had the wise men on on the cover, and in it he said to the only person I know who believes in the wise men. It was a lovely legend. It said, it said it's a lovely legend, fought up, fought by whom? You guess it. Those those Christians, <laughs> early, early church. But well, they were busy when they weren't being persecuted, harassed, imprisoned, or decapitated. They wrote these legends. See, Matthew calls the men who came from the east to worship the newborn king, Magi. The Greek historian Herodotus says that the Magi were the whole of a Median tribe and were part of the Persian Empire. They tried and failed to overthrow the Persians and thereby lost any chance for power. Hence, despite the carols, and the poems. They were not kings, but were probably pagan priests of the Median religion. The Magi were known throughout the Persian Empire as excellent teachers. They possessed a native inquisitiveness. They were always searching for new knowledge. They were scientists. They were skilled astronomers astrologers. In ancient times, astrology was a respected science and in some sense it still is. The sky with the crystal ball and the, ca- and the calendar of coming events. Through our telescope today we watch for sunspots which will predict certain weather patterns, changes on Earth. In pre-Christian times, the rumors were abounding that a great king would be born. And it was only natural for the Magi, who studied these things, to look to the sky for some portent of this. In at least two ancient caves in Israel, there have been discovered astrological calendars pointing to the Messiah. The Hebrew Scriptures spoke of of a coming king, and the pagan world also was waiting. Remember the fourth eclogue, the Messianic eclogue of Virgil. The Roman historian Suetonius wrote, there had spread over all the Orient an old but established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Tacitus, the historian, says that there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful, and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. So the whole Eastern world was waiting. And the Magi, most of all. And then it happened. The star appeared. Astronomers have tried to identify the stellar phenomenon that the wise men saw. Some have said it was Halley's Comet, which appeared in 11 BC. Others point to a brilliant conjunction. Of Saturn and Jupiter in seven BC. Some say it was the dog star, Sirius, and others a supernova. Remember, most likely Christ was not born in one AD, but probably several years before, because of the problems with the calendar. And if the rumors of an impending king was as prevalent. As the pagan Roman historians said it was, the murder and cruelty rage of Herod the Great was understandable. We know of Herod from the Bible. And what we know from that coincides with what we learned from Roman and Jewish historical sources. He was a megalomaniac. By the way, a commemoration day is made of the holy innocence. He was a megalomaniac, a paranoid ruler, suspicious of anyone. After Rome, under Pompey, conquered Palestine, they allowed, as was their custom, for home rule. So they installed a Jewish convert, Herod, as governor. Then when the Civil War in Rome settled down, and Augustus Caesar became emperor, the Roman Senate named Herod king. He was a powerful and very capable king. He was also an architect. What did Hitler also want to be an architect? Strange that the, some dictators imagine themselves to be architects. But he, Herod, Herod was an architect. He built the magnificent temple. He built Masada. He built the port at Caesarea Philippi and many other buildings. But he was driven by suspicions that everyone out was out to oust him. He was the Saddam Hussein of his time in every way. He had a bodyguard of 2,000 men I mean, um, people complain about the president's entourage, secretaries having uh, being so many and being uh, in a plane. Imagine two thousand men. He also had spies all over the place, like the Gestapo. They the um, ch- checking on everybody secretly. When he was seventy and was thinking of retiring he chose the loveliest city of cities, Jericho he ordered that a number of the most distinguished of the citizens there be arrested on trumped up charges and then they were to be killed at the moment of his death why? Well, he explained why but he knew he wasn't dumb he knew no one would mourn for him after he had gone so he wanted to ensure that there would be some weeping in Jericho after he died when he died a horrible death the Jewish historian Josephus said he was eaten up by worms very fitting but his successors and his relatives, would not uh, carry out the wish and had these people killed. All through his life, especially toward the end, toward the end when, when then the, the murder of the innocent would be taking place, he was bloodthirsty. He had killed many, many rabbis. He murdered his wife, Mariana, and her mother, Alexandra. well, you might say, well, his mother-in-law, so what? (laughs) He had one by one his three of his sons, Antipater, Alexander, and Aristobulus, killed. For fear, they were plotting against him. They weren't. But he thought they were. After Herod had killed his dearest son, the son he really loved, but nonetheless had put him to death. Emperor Caesar Augustus remarked that he would rather be a pig of Herod's than be his son. So why should biblical scholars doubt Herod's cruelty and his anxiety? and then the slaughter of the Holy Innocents at Bethlehem, which were probably only about 20 boys, as opposed to the mass slaughter of the rabbis. Finally, finally, if there were no magi, then who's buried in the Cathedral of Cologne? The belief that the they were. They were. They went there somehow. They, uh, they didn't use a triptych, I guess. They went to um, went ended up in Germany. And um, now and then, so they were. The bodies are buried in a golden reliquary, which sits on the high altar. Several years ago, when your World Youth Day was held at in Cologne. The theme, what was it, of the, of the youth day was, Come, let us adore him. And the Archbishop then of Cologne, Cardinal Meisner, in the name of the Magi, invited the world's youth to come there. Finally, I would like a read from the, um, the preface to Father Laurentin's book, which answers those iconoclasts who would destroy the infancy narratives. The preface. Since the Enlightenment, the narratives concerning the infancy and resurrection of Christ, which form the beginning and the end of the Gospels, have come to the forefront of historical criticism. This is not surprising, for they go far beyond the bounds of ordinary historical probability, They confront us with the imminent action of God in the world, which touches even our bodily reality. The continuity of tradition underwent a great shock in the Catholic Church at the time of Vatican II. This brought out in their fullness the questions posed by historical criticism so far as to affect Catholic theology itself and the very preaching of the Gospel. With this book, the infancy narratives are restored to us with a new life, it was, was worth taking them through the fire of criticism in order to reach a depth of perception which apologetics alone could never establish. Father Laurenton instructs us anew in Christian meditation by teaching us to read the texts in the evangelists themselves. This book, which fulfills the best potentials of modern theology, stirs in me a feeling of profound gratitude. It deserves widespread recognition. May it find many attentive readers who learn from it and discover anew the riches and realism of the Christian faith. Written by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, whom we know as Benedict XVI. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.